This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 84. Today's episode is all about how social media creates narcissists. There's something that looks at girls' journals and diaries over the years from like 100 years ago until now. And you see the progression of how our values have changed as girls and women. Back then, long ago, it would be like, I want to be a good person. I want to contribute to society. And now when you're looking at journals of diaries of girls, it's all about like, I want to get fillers or I want to be skinny and things like that. And so that's where I really worry about influencer culture, especially as it affects the teens and the tweens. But again, just making us all feel bad about ourselves. Like, oh, she looks like the perfect parent. You know, like those, some of the mommy bloggers really make me feel bad about myself. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Is social media turning you into a narcissist? I'm going to be honest. I've thought about this with myself. Like, maybe those likes feel a little too good. Or maybe that post going viral made me feel a little too cool. Maybe I care about how people respond to my post a little too much. But what's normal and what's dangerous? And when does what other people consider normal actually become dangerous? If we look at the stats, especially for young people, they're pretty scary. As social media use increases, so does depression. Child suicide rates are up over 150%. And more people feel lonely now than ever in history, which should be shocking because we have more means to connect than we ever have. But it actually makes sense. I think social media is perceived connection without any of the physical benefits. We already know that we get dopamine hits with almost every social media feature. Likes, comments, shares, even arguments. But I think that this is a bigger deal than most people realize. Social media actually changes the reward pathways. You get immediate rewards in the form of a dopamine release every time you post or get a notification from the app. This constant barrage of shallow rewards rewires your brain to want more of what caused that dopamine release, which leads to social media addiction. But here's the thing. It's not that you just become addicted to the app. You become addicted to yourself or the story of you that you're putting out there. And it makes sense because what you focus on expands. So if you're focused on your social media image, you're going to start looking at your life through that lens. How can I make this moment shareable? How do I want people to see me? How can I craft the image that I want to portray? It's almost like 
a dysmorphic version of a gratitude practice. When you start a gratitude journal, the goal is to write three to 10 things that you're grateful for every morning and night. And so for the first few days, you fly through all the obvious things, a loving partner, beautiful children, a roof over your head, a fluffy dog. But when you start getting to day 30 or 100, you have to go deeper. So you start automatically taking mental note of things during the day that you can write down later. It trains your brain to start looking for things that you can be grateful for. So you start seeing more things that you can be grateful for in your everyday life. It's the reticular activating system at work, the part of your brain that tells you that something is important and to look out for it. Kind of like when you start seriously considering buying a new white Tesla, then you start seeing white Teslas everywhere. Social media seems to be more of a personal brand for people than it is really a means for connecting on a personal level. So yeah, it's not really our fault that social media is breeding our inner narcissist, but it is our responsibility if we don't want to be slaves to the algorithm. There's a billion dollar algorithm that's main purpose is to stimulate our egos. And we're just expected to adapt and evolve, but frankly, our brains don't have a chance in naturally evolving at a pace that keeps up with new tech. So I feel like the question is not if social media is making us all more narcissistic, but how much and what do we do about it? Also, if this is happening on a global scale, how do we protect ourselves from the other digital narcissists of the world? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Lena Durhalli. She's a licensed psychotherapist in private practice, and she's also the author of The Facebook Narcissist, How to Identify and Protect Yourself and Your Loved Ones from Social Media Narcissism. So three key things we will learn are what happens to our brains on social media, how narcissism on social media affects our relationships, and how to spot narcissistic predators. If there's one topic that keeps coming up in my women's circles, it's our hormones. Frankly, I think that between years of birth control or beauty products that mess with endocrine function, a lot of us are just out of whack. Estro Control is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. It has science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health, especially in women who suffer from PMS. The way Estro Control eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when the estrogen isn't processed well in the liver, women may start having PMS, spots on the skin, they get cravings, they feel low all of a sudden. Estro Control was created to help women feel like themselves all throughout the month because PMS can basically rob us of a week of our lives every month. Totally not fair. Estro Control is made specifically for women who are premenopausal, so it's perfect for women that haven't entered menopause yet. And in fact, it's amazing for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can turn into a beast. I have been relearning myself postpartum. I just started my period again when my baby was 10 months and I forgot how wild these hormone changes can be. I wanted something to just maintain optimal hormone levels and help with mild mood swings, and Estro Control is perfect for this. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com with promo code MINDLOVE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use promo code MINDLOVE for 15% off your first order. 
And now let's welcome Lena Derhalley to the show. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I'm happy to be here. So what inspired you to write your latest book around narcissism caused by social media or related to social media? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've always been fascinated with narcissism. And my first book, it's a true crime. It's about narcissism. But one of the things I've noticed is that narcissism is very prevalent in the world, you know, as, as it's defined as low empathy, entitlement, exploitation, attention seeking. And when I was first seeking to write a book, I was sort of looking at narcissism and how it intersects with politics, with racism, with prejudice, with entertainment and relationships. And and one chapter in my initial plan was about social media. And my agent said, well, you know, there's so many books about narcissism out there. What if you were to write a book on narcissism and social media? And I went and I I did so much research into it. And I just found there's so much out there. And, you know, everything we're seeing in the media today is actually a lot of it is related to social media and narcissism. So I really became fascinated about this idea, you know, what is social media doing to us in terms of our empathy, our entitlement, our attention-seeking behaviors? What is it doing to us culturally? And what is it doing to children who are now growing up with this? Yeah, when I was preparing for this interview, I wrote down the question at first, like, is social media actually turning people into narcissists? Or is it just highlighting people who have narcissistic tendencies? But then I thought... That's kind of like asking the question, are opioids creating drug addicts or are they just bringing to light those who have addictive tendencies? It's kind of one and the same. So you can't even really ask that question. It's like, of course, this having this thing at our disposal that just feeds all of these tendencies that I think are normal for a lot of people anyways, just on a very a much smaller scale. And then it can like move through the spectrum. But after all your research, where did you come to with those ideas? Well, that's a great question. And that is actually a question researchers and social scientists are desperately trying to answer. So that's really interesting that you asked that. And there's not definitive conclusions yet. And there's actually evidence on both sides. But I would say the evidence and the research we have is probably a bit stronger on the, the part about people who are already highly narcissistic being attracted to social media. So, you know, if you Google that term, you'll see things like social media is a playground for narcissists and things like that. So that's definitely true. Um, narcissistic people are very attracted to social media, use it more than the average person and use it for attention seeking purposes. But there is some pretty compelling research out there especially from people who are very into behavioral psychology, which is sort of like your behavior is influenced by your social surroundings and what you do. And if you repeat things enough, or if you're exposed to things enough, you become that, you know? And so there are, there's some really interesting studies and research. One I found um, where they tested people. Remember MySpace, you might be too young for it. Oh no, I totally had a customized MySpace account. Okay, (laughs) Okay, so you are down with MySpace. So yes, MySpace, to anyone who's listening, you know, this was the very first social media, essentially. Um, So they they, they did this study and they measured people before and like 15 minutes after they had used MySpace and they found that people scored higher on the narcissism inventory scale after using MySpace for 15 minutes. And, you know, I spoke to a lot of behavioral psychologists who are like, yes, you know, if you are curating yourself 
over and over again. And this is more for like the people who are more on the influencer side of it. You are kind of grooming yourself to be more and more narcissistic because your whole life is around presenting yourself in such a way constantly and taking photos of yourself. And um, there was a really interesting uh, woman I found who, who was a former influencer and talked about the depths. She said, you know, being an influencer is like mining the depths of your narcissism. And she spoke about how she felt she became more narcissistic by being an influencer because she's like, it requires you to be obsessed with yourself. And she didn't like that. And so she actually left, you know, the influencer field. To answer your question, you know, in some, it's, it seems like it's actually a little bit of both, but stronger evidence um, for the side where narcissists are more attracted to social media. I have noticed it even in myself. And I am a very self-aware person. Really, I, I like to word that better as I prioritize self-awareness. So I take time to reflect on what I'm doing, what new technologies have come out, what possible ways that those things can be negatively impacting me and another side. So I'm looking at this in in tons of areas, you know, it's like, oh, great, we have these ability to industrialize things, to create these big farms, to mass produce stuff, but then look at all the downsides uh, on quality, health, like things like that. And so I, I think of that with almost anything. When people are really excited about a new technology, uh, one good example for me is like AirPods. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, this is awesome. I can now clean my house while like listening to something. But then I'm like, well, what about the EMF? And so I'm always thinking about that with like social media because on one hand, social media has been very helpful for me in growing my business. I also use it as a way to self-reflect. Like a lot of times my posts are me kind of, it's my way of journaling almost. But what I've found is when I'm posting regularly, I can feel that urge to like go check my likes sometimes minutes after I post or like the first hour after I post. If I just let myself run wild and didn't try to <laughs> like counteract anything or, or wasn't aware of, of what was happening, I would probably be checking my phone every few minutes after a post. And so I have to physically go put my phone on the other side of the room. That's how I deal with it. I'll, I'll make a post and then I'll like either delete Facebook or Instagram or whatever I just posted from for a couple of days <laughs> or like leave it by the front door. And so I've even asked myself, well, the fact that I have to do these things in order to stop the tendencies, is that a bad sign or is this just what it takes if you're going to be active on social media? Because I don't know anybody that is regular, like actually active on social media, not the kind that like will randomly post a photo of their child every three months, but like posting regularly. I don't know anybody who doesn't feel addicted to it. So is it even possible to be on it without feeling those sort of self-centered type feelings and thoughts? I mean, I think you hit a lot of good points here and there's multi layers to this. So one, you mentioned addiction, which I have a chapter in the book about addiction and narcissism. And again, these social media companies are designed to get us addicted to it. And like you, Melissa, I'm the same way. You know, I have my phone glued to my hand and I have to be so conscious and intentional about, you know, putting it away or blocking off time or not getting distracted by it. 
Um, you know, the, and the psychology behind a lot of this, and this isn't a bad thing is that as human beings, we all want and need validation. And I always tell people there's nothing wrong with that. It's important to be validated. It's important to feel special and cared for, you know, it's just with narcissism and it is on a spectrum, you know, moderate narcissism is not a bad thing. You kind of want to be on the, the middle of the spectrum, which is like, you have enough confidence in yourself and belief in yourself to do things, you know, like start a podcast. Um, but you're also not to the point where you're self-obsessed and will step all over people to continue to have attention on you, which is what we see with a lot of celebrities and the celebrity culture. But I think it's what you said. It's about being super intentional and being self-aware. And I always tell people, cause you know, this is my second book and they're both about narcissism. And people will always say, oh, I read your book and now I'm scared I'm a narcissist. And I'm like, actually, that means you're not because narcissists, like true, real, very disordered, pathological narcissists don't ask themselves that question. So I think like as long as you are doing what you're doing, Melissa, I think that's a pretty healthy relationship with social media. And that's the book, you know, at, at the end of each chapter, I ask at these food for thought questions. And it's just more about the book is more about being mindful and having a healthier relationship with social media. And so it is about like what you said, it's just being aware that this happens in us and that it can be really addictive and just having to check ourselves once in a while. I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A. Then I found Aloe Moves and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content, since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher-focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? <laughs> they have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, hit classes, or reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Aloe Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words, living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my air doctor. As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. 
I live in the mountains and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND, and depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M-I-N-D. It is interesting though, because I've thought about this a lot. I had a number of addictions in my life. I was bulimic for a while. I've recently given up alcohol. I used to do a lot of party drugs. I was on a lot of Adderall for a while. And so I've had, I've definitely had the like, okay, well, I need to get off of this or I need to heal my relationship with food or like on all the levels of things that you can be addicted to, I have been. And I find it interesting because... One of the things that I started to really awaken about alcohol, for example, is I was realizing I was thinking about it too much. It was like too ingrained of a habit. And so it had changed a ton from like my early 20s when I would binge drink. I I hadn't been drunk in a while (laughs) when I gave up drinking, but I was just like, I just feel this pull, like, is that healthy? And so often I would have conversations with people and it's like, well, if you're asking yourself this question, it probably means you should look at this. But then when it comes to something like social media, if you're asking this self, yourself this question, it probably means you're not. <laughs> it's, it's sort of an interesting just dichotomy of being like, maybe it's because it's so ingrained in all of our lives that it's not feasible for most people to give it up completely. So we just have to uh-huh. find that balance. But I guess that brings us to the question, what really is a narcissist? Because so often lately, it's kind of thrown around casually about anybody who's just kind of focused on themselves. So when is it a defined narcissist versus, you know, somebody just having a moment of self-absorption? Yeah. And that's a great question. And it's something we really need to define. And you're right. The word narcissist is a buzzword in pop culture now, you know, and it's, it's, we want to be careful because we don't want to call someone a narcissist if that's not what they are. And a narcissist isn't someone who's self-absorbed. And actually, you know, I think there's something really interesting and important to point out that attention-seeking isn't narcissism either. And attention-seeking can often come from developmental trauma. You know, there's a lot of research around this as well, is that, you know, when you've had developmental trauma as a child, like you're seeking attention as an adult, you know, it's just something that your brain adapts to do, you know, because especially if you were neglected and things like that. And so I do um, in the book make a a point to talk about trauma-informed approach to this stuff because I really want to make sure that we're not labeling people who are, you know, seemingly it's attention-seeking or self-absorbed as narcissists because that's that can be a piece of it, but only a very small piece. And I like to use Dr. Craig Craig Malkin out of Harvard University. He's a psychologist and he is, you know, probably one of the top researchers on narcissism. And he defines it as triple E, which I kind of explained a bit in the beginning of the podcast, which stands for lack of empathy, exploitation, and entitlement. And so these things are patterns of behavior that are constant. Um, it's the person can have little to no empathy 
And again, just very entitled, meaning that they think they deserve special privileges or they can have special treatment. Um, all narcissists believe they are better than everyone else. And they act that way, if not outwardly, inwardly, or even in the privacy of their own homes. So a lot of people think that narcissism is this very boastful, huge, loud, grandiose type of presentation, which it is. But now as we've gone further and further into exploring narcissism, this is the people who research it. They found there's different subtypes as well, such as covert or vulnerable narcissism, which is where the person kind of internalizes it, uh, but they are not, um, you wouldn't know it. So they could be your neighbor. It could be your neighbor who just seems like a regular guy, but behind closed doors, he's very entitled, maybe abusive towards his partner, you know, things like that. And so you don't always know who is a narcissist, but it really is defined by those things. And it's defined by cruelty and rage. And it's just not a very nice, you know, it's not a nice thing at all. Uh, but narcissists, because they do want to feel special, they're addicted to feel special and they're addicted to attention. Attention seeking and self-absorption is definitely part of the profile, but that in itself on its own is not narcissism. I am raising a baby now. I have a 15-month-old. And so I'm reading a lot of the books about, you know, even just ways to speak to them because so much affects who they become. And it's gotten me to reflect a lot about the idea. It's from the book Punished by Rewards. And I know a lot of other books have touched on it as well, where children, there's like a whole generation of kids. And even now, it's it's hard not to do this, but you're told, good job, or you praise them for doing certain things and it actually kind of messes with the way their dopamine functions in their brain because then all of a sudden they don't have the intrinsic motivation to do something for themselves. They're doing it for the praise. And I reflected on this because I was an only child and I definitely feel like this type of thing affected me. I was like, the look what I can do, kid. <laughs> now I have a podcast. So <laughs> I, don't yeah. I don't know, maybe those things are related. And so I'm like trying to look at different ways to to tell my child, like rather than just like, good job, you accomplished this. Oh, you try so hard. And all these just little things about their effort and putting that in. And so I'm wondering how much of these narcissistic tendencies can even be created due to the way we were raised or is that just like such a smaller scale that it doesn't really feed into the narcissism? Well, that's a great question too. And there's several theories about how narcissism develops as a personality disorder, which is again at the extreme end. So people can have these narcissistic traits that I talked about without being a full blown narcissist, but the several theories about how it develops is all from childhood actually. And one of the theories, and I, I think there's, you know, pretty, they're both theories make a lot of sense to me. One of the theories is the overindulged child. And so that's the child who has, is told that they're, they can never do wrong and they're constantly praised, but they're also given the message that they're better than other kids and they don't learn empathy, right? Because it's just, they're constantly, everything's about them and being the best and they are the best. And, and so they don't learn humility. They don't learn empathy. So that's one theory about how it develops. The other theory, which I think is much more interesting and compelling is the theory of emotional neglect and abuse in childhood. And so that idea is that the child 
has been overly criticized or ignored and neglected. And they use narcissism as a defense mechanism to protect themselves from feeling the deep pain of being rejected by a parent. So they develop this defense, this wall, which is like, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me like that. And so I'm going to think that I'm the special one and I'm going to treat myself that way. And so those are the two main theories. But yeah, to your point, you know, when we're thinking about raising kids, I mean, first and foremost, I think it's just the, I'm a relational therapist. And um, first and foremost, it's just the unconditional love and emotional safety that you provide your child, you know. That's the baseline. That's the most important thing. And this is what we've seen with studies too, is that, you know, high self-esteem is not the same as narcissism and self-esteem comes from feeling loved and feeling seen, you know? So I think what I, what I tell parents is as long as your kid feels loved and seen for who they are, like the other stuff doesn't matter as much. So I always like to look at it that way. Yeah. It's, I like that viewpoint it reminds me of anything. Like what place is this need coming from? I have thought about this with like, I know they're doing a lot of different studies on drugs like MDMA and, and how they can positively affect relationships. If you're getting the the pure kind and it's a clinical standard and you have like somebody facilitating and things like that. And so I had a whole phase of my life where I I did the street drug version of those things. And and my husband and I have talked about like, yeah, we do those things again, but it's the difference. Uh, am, am I doing this from a need to escape or to expand? And I think the same thing comes with anything. It's like, are you calling this person? Are you ending up in a relationship with this person because you actually love them or because you just feel like they're all that you deserve and you need them around because you can't be by yourself? And so, so many of these things kind of take an introspection of like, yeah, where is this desire to post coming from? Where is this need for the likes coming from? But I know that I've, I've worked in social media companies. I've worked in startups creating tech. And so I know that there are these tricks of what they do within the apps to get the full effect of that like dopamine dependency. And one that I always bring up because it, for some reason it just feels, this one feels the sneakiest because it's one thing to just show people likes. But like when you log into the Facebook app and it actually takes like one second for those likes to appear, they have the technology to log in and the likes to be there immediately, but they delay it a fraction of a second, even one second, because that anticipatory period actually increases the amount of dopamine even more and makes you even more addicted to coming in. And so (laughs) my question is like, what is actually happening to our brain on likes? Like, are we, do you see it as us getting high on likes or comments? Yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I chuckle because it shouldn't surprise me that they do that. But at the same time, it always does surprise me. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, they are just so methodical to, yeah. down to the, you know, the, the most minute details. It's crazy. But yes, I mean, it's, it's an engine designed to make money. Um, I talk about surveillance capitalism in the book and just how like these companies exploit us. Right. And that's, so my metaphor for big tech essentially is big tech is the narcissist because it's like, they don't really care about us as people. They care about us as consumers and making money for them, you know? So, you know, I think that that is something really important to know, but the addiction to likes, it's a real thing. It is like a dopamine hit. Like you said, they know it's a dopamine hit, And, but I also, it's very shallow and short lived. And it's sort of like, you know, when you, you mentioned, you know, 
eating disorder. And I think it's like, if something will feel good in the moment, right? Like if you binge eat or something like that, or you, you know, an emotional eating, like I was kind of down today. And when I'm down, I'll indulge in sugar and I know that I shouldn't, but in the moment it feels good. Right. But then after it doesn't feel so good anymore. And I think that's the equivalent of these addictions to likes is like, it feels so good in the moment, but it's so fleeting. And then you can have a crash after that. And then you want more. And that's the thing with the addiction to likes is like, you feel really bad when you don't get the likes that you had hoped, you know, people start to feel really bad about themselves when they're like, oh, this picture only got 10 likes. And so it starts to define our self-worth. And that's where I think it becomes really problematic is when our moods are determined by how many likes we get on something. It's such a slippery slope too. (laughs) It is. What effect do influencers have on this whole kind of dopamine machine? Well, I think the problem with the influencer culture, and I talk about MLMs a little bit in this too, is that it's selling people a lifestyle that's unattainable for most. And it's, you know, actually selling people a lifestyle that's based on very material things like what you look like, you know, how much you can sell, um, how, how great your life is. And it's all fake. A lot of it, you know, like they have, uh, there's, there's, information about influencers looking like they're in some exotic resort, but they're actually posing in a baby pool. You know, it's things like that. So there's a lot about it that's phony and it sells us this phony lifestyle. And it also is kind of dumbing our culture down a bit, you know, that everything is about you as a brand, which isn't a bad thing. Again, like, I don't think it's bad to be a a brand, but I think what influencer culture has done in sort of this Kardashian reality TV culture has made it, you know, more acceptable. And this is why we're seeing a real teen tween mental health crisis with girls is that it's made them think that our worth and value is based on materialism, wealth, how you look, plastic surgery, you know, all of those things. And I actually interviewed a great social psychologist for my book. And she wrote her own book about narcissism called The Life of I. Her name's Anne Mann. And she told me in her research that she, there's a, a something that looks at girls' journals and diaries over the years from like a hundred years ago until now. And you see the progression of how our values have changed as girls and women, you know, back in, back then long ago, it would be like, I want to be a good person. I want to contribute to society. And now when you're looking at journals of diaries of girls, it's all about like, I want to get fillers or I want to be skinny and things like that. And so that's where I really worry about influencer culture, especially as it affects the teens and the tweens. Um, But again, just making us all feel bad about ourselves. Like, oh, she looks like the perfect parent. You know, like those, some of the mommy bloggers really make me feel bad about myself. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams... 
Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Oh my gosh, I know. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm supposed to have a social media presence, but I'll go in phases of like posting a bunch for a week and then I just delete it all and take a break. But I realized at one moment that I don't feel proud of my home when it comes to social media, but I feel proud of it when I invite people over. And so mm. it was one of those self-reflective moments of this was one of the times where I was like, I need to get rid of social media. And I do have a lot of really wealthy friends from LA that do have like these perfect homes where they custom built their homes, had interior <laughs> designers, everything's white. Why do you have children in white stuff? Like I, I still yeah. don't understand. <laughs> like how yeah. is everything in your home white and your kid <laughs> is perfectly clean? Yes. Yeah. And and I'm like, I, I have a regular house with a regular baby. And yes, I think it's adorable, but like if you took a picture of it at a random time when I'm not prepared, there's stuff everywhere right now, you know? And I'm like, and I forgot that that was normal because I see more of my friends with kids on social media than I do in real life because we all have kids and we're busy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I remember going to my friend's house and being like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. And she's like, what? And I was like, you just have stuff all over. And she was mm-hmm. like, she's like, oh my God, way to make me self-conscious. It's like, no, you don't get it. My house is worse. And I feel so like seen and <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is normal. I feel like I'm like falling into a blanket. And it brings me to the idea of like, how why didn't I know that about that friend? You can't see any of the mess in her photos. And it's not like she is trying to be an influencer. She's just trying to like have good photos. And so even on the friends that don't have thousands of followers, we're presenting these specific images. And I'm reminded of this viral post that went around a couple years ago. And this person was talking about how she was at like the community pool and she saw a mom come and get in and she was like posing her kids. They were all excited to get in the pool. She was making them take photos. And then she got out and she was like playing with her phone and then made them all get out. And they didn't even get to like enjoy the pool. (laughs) The sad thing is, is my first thought was, I wonder if that's a real story or if this person just knew it was going viral. So I couldn't even decide if the false narrative was like so meta. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, those false narratives, again, it's like, and I always tell people this story because I'm a couples therapist, like tra- extensively trained and, you know, higher certifications. And I mean, I do individual therapy as well, but I used to have a personal Facebook account. I don't anymore. And, you know, I talk about my personal experience with social media in my book about having over 700 friends and having this moment, especially after my first child was born, I'm um, being like, wow, who is this for? You know what I mean? I'm not really friends with 700 people. It's not, you know, but um, because people knew that I was a couples therapist, you know, people would privately message me often and, you know, and ask me, hey, do you have any recommendations for couples therapists? And I tell people this because without fail, every single time, the people who were messaging me behind the scenes looking for couples therapists were the ones who posted the most effusive, over-the-top posts about their partners. And I just found that really interesting. And it was one of the first moments where I'm like, wow, not only are things not real on social media, but sometimes they're the exact opposite of what is portrayed. Um, But we don't see that. And even if we know that on a cognitive level, we're still not emotionally connecting with that. So what, you know, we may be scrolling through our newsfeed and we may be, like you said, a pretty self-aware person with a pretty good self-esteem. And we're not even fully aware that just being exposed and consuming all of that perfection, like we're subconsciously comparing ourselves to other people and then feeling bad about it. And so that that's a hard one to navigate, I think, because even when we know that social media is not real, it still doesn't make us feel good, you know? And so Again, it's just something that we all have to be aware of. And then we all have to make our own individual choices about how much, how much content we consume a day, you know, and just being aware of like, how do I feel after I scroll through my feed and just being paying attention to that, I think. For me, it's always this constant battle because I do know without a shadow of a doubt that if I spend any amount of time binging social media at this point, I don't feel good afterwards. Like I actually feel drained. And I used to think it was my time where I was just resting and recharging. But I found that if I sit down and start scrolling, I will suddenly have way less energy when I started. And maybe it's because I've just like sunk into like, oh, sit on the couch. I want to do something mindless. And so then my brain kind of attaches to the mindless. It's kind of like if you're feeling that moment of like, okay, I know I stress eat or I go for sugar and then you eat the cupcake, you want more cupcake. (laughs) You don't want to all of a sudden get up and eat some broccoli. And so same with even television though. Like there have been times where I'm like, you know what? I just need a day off and I've ended up like binging a series on Netflix and I actually feel minorly depressed at the end of it. And it took me years to realize this, but I'm wondering... So we know that it might not make us feel good for most of us by the end of these little social media scrolls or whatever, but what are the other dangers? How does these uh, social media or even maybe it influencing our own narcissistic tendencies, how does that affect us outside of those moments? Well, I think, you know, when you're, what's coming up for me as you ask that question is a chapter I have called Relationship Ruptures about how narcissism on social media has really harmed a lot of our relationships. Because if you think about it, like you said, we're all busy, right? And so, especially those of us with young kids at home and working and, you know, there's everybody's got so much going on these days, regardless if you have kids or not. 
But you know, what's happening is we're spending a lot of our time connecting on social media and not in person. And one of the things I learned from writing this book and from being in a pandemic now for two plus years, although we are much better spot than we were, but just that these in-person interactions are so important and being behind a screen minimizes our empathy. And for me, the most, the biggest hallmark of narcissism is a lack of empathy. And so you know, what happens is people are now getting into arguments on social media with people that they previously liked or were close with, you know, because people freely post views or then just feel that they are entitled to attack someone for their views. And then, you know, people are really getting into it over a screen instead of in person and having real dialogue. So I think that's a huge danger, actually, is that we're not connecting in person and that we're we're starting to demonize people more um, and disconnect more. Um, and then the other danger, as you mentioned, is I feel we're we're substituting some of our and not you or any you know anyone individually, but just thinking collectively that we tend to substitute our in-person relationships with online interactions now because we are busy. And so what we're doing is we're like, oh, there's Sally's beautiful picture with her family. Click like, like oh, Sally's having a great time at the beach, but we're not picking up the phone and calling Sally and you know what Sally's going through might be very different than what she's putting on social media. So I think like we're not connecting in the deeper ways that we used to because we feel like, oh, we know what's going on because we have these limited shallow connections with people over social media. So I think those are the two things that come to my mind. And then the other one going into sort of the political side, a lot of the racism that we've been seeing just exacerbated. I just did a lot of interviews about, you know, the Buffalo shooting and the Uvalde shooting and the role of social media and that. What we're seeing is, you know, Twitter, and you you probably know this from working in the social media companies, but tweets that get the most retweets are the ones that have the most divisive content. And so divisiveness is what cells is what drives engagement. And I think we're seeing a lot more divisiveness, divisiveness and vitriol and hatred and, you know, white supremacists now have opportunities to uh, groom and recruit and wide throughout wide social networks, you know, because of their, the wide reach of social media. So all of this stuff I think is super, super problematic and dangerous. Yeah, I was actually just interviewing someone named Eric Barker who wrote a book called Plays Well with Others. And he was talking about the same thing that you said is that the danger really is when we're we're swapping that connection with people and we do think like yeah, I'm I'm caught up on this person's life so I don't need to reach out, but it's like that's kind of their outlet. There's there's no connection really happening there. Like somebody can read my content but if they're not reaching out, I don't even know that they've just connected with me in that moment, <laughs> if that makes sense. And so it's like it, it's like this false feeling of like, oh yeah, I got online and I was social today, when really you've been sitting on your couch and you haven't seen the sunlight or talked to another human. And so if you're really like honest with yourself, like, oh, was that your social time? Do you want that to be your social time? Because you might have that perception in your mind, but you don't get any of the benefits of connection that we get in the real world, which I think is the things that kind of end up creating or really diving into the human in all of us is that connection. And so what do we do in order to counteract this, whether it's in ourselves or we're kind of noticing it in the children that we're raising? 
we've talked about being mindful and like putting the phone away, but what do we need to look for? And, and what do you recommend? Well, I was talking to uh, someone I interviewed for my book, another top researcher on narcissism. His name's W. Keith Campbell. And we were talking about parenting. His kids are teenagers and mine are elementary school age, but um, he said something that he goes by acronym called CPR, compassion, passion, responsibility. And he's like, as long as my kids have those three things, then I'm not really worried about how much time they're spending on social media. But basically it's like, do they have friends? Do they have a passion? You know, do they have something? And it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be necessarily good at a passion, you know, but I look at thinking about my seven-year-old daughter right now and she plays a lot of video games and I don't have a problem with that because she has a lot of friends and she would choose being with her friends any day over sitting on a video game. And she loves um, tap dance and soccer and, And, you know, so I think um, when you look at the whole picture, it's like, are you living a fulfilling life, which again is compassion, passion, responsibility. You know, I think he said it really well, you know, it's the compassion of being connected and in, you know, authentic relationship with others. And it doesn't have to be a lot of people like you just, you know, there's so many studies done that happiness is really based on the quality of our relationships, not the quantity. So I think really working on cultivating the authenticity in our relationships and deep, intimate, fulfilling connections, which requires that in-person contact and, or picking up the phone even and having that conversation and just seeking to do things that bring us fulfillment, whatever that is, if that's crochet, that's great. You know, it's just anything that brings us some kind of, you know, if you want to look at it spiritually, even if you don't believe in God, but something that's connected that feels like a spiritual connection that feels like it's giving you um, some kind of purpose in the world. So that's, that's kind of my answer to that is cultivate all of that in your life. What do we need to look for in order to protect ourselves from other people's narcissism on social media? Because it seems like if this product, Facebook, Twitter, whatever your drug of choice is, (laughs) is Mm -hmm. kind of amplifying people's narcissistic tendencies, then there's probably more people out there that we need to sort of protect ourselves from in different ways, whether that's financial scams or just drawing in our emotions. Uh, What do we need to look for? Yeah, we want to, yeah, never give people money online. Um, One of the, (laughs) I have, you know, a chapter about cyberbullying, cyberstalking and victim blaming and catfishing, you know, and a lot of people we think, oh no, that wouldn't happen to me, but it can. So, you know, it's like, just be careful. You know, when somebody's trying to again, sell you this picture perfect scenario, if it's too good to be true, it is. So that's the financial piece. There's a lot of, you know, I call them narcissistic healers and gurus who are like, oh, they'll sell you a miracle, you know, your life oh my gosh. I, these I get because I'm in the, I guess I'm in like spiritual Twitter or spiritual Facebook or whatever, but I get reached out to from people all the time where it's like, I get a lot of energy from your photo. Can I do a reading? <laughs> and they're like reaching out yeah. like, and I know there's probably plenty of people that, that fall for that because they're like, oh, I am hurting. And oh my gosh, you're getting a lot of this energy from my photo. Like, you know, I'm in pain. Okay. Yeah. I'll pay you money. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, someone's like, but first you have to spend thousands of dollars on supplements or that, you know, whatever, you know, obviously you have to pay money for goods and services and that's totally normal. But, you know, if it's like over exorbitant, if it's selling you again, something that's too good to be true, uh, be, be mindful of that. You know, you have to be mindful of all of those things. Any, again, anybody that doesn't 
make you feel good. Or if you see someone and they're constantly posting, you know, inflammatory things that just makes you feel on edge. It just, you know, you just have to pay attention to yourself and, you know, use the the mute button. You know, now I think it's great actually that social media companies have given you this feature where you can hide people without unfriending them because sometimes people don't want to take that step because it feels too aggressive, you know? So I think it's about, you know, protecting your peace, um, you know, just being, when you have kids raising them on social media, be super aware about what they're doing the cyberbullying stuff. That's super concerning to me. It's a, it's a huge problem. Um, again, you have boys being radicalized online from, you know, white supremacists and things like that. So you just have to just be super aware about what your kids are doing online, who they're talking to, teaching them about online safety. So again, my kids are into gaming, but we talk about it all the time, which is like, you never give your real name. Don't tell anybody where you live, you know? So I think it's just sort of being smart and savvy because we're not, technology is going nowhere. And so I think we just have to learn and teach our children how to navigate it in a way where it's like we can optimize the safety and and protect ourselves. There's just so many benefits and so many negatives to this one thing. So it does require such consistent mindfulness and even things like hiding your webcam. Uh, My husband's much more diligent about that than I am. And he's like, but you're the one that should be more diligent. Like, Like turn that webcam off. And I'm like, but I accidentally just got naked in front of our first floor window. Why am I thinking, how do you expect me to think about the webcam? So, and he's right in a way, you know, and it's like, I don't want to be like that, you know, paranoid about all those things, but it's true in a way, you know, you have to think about that. I know. I actually was trying to prove him wrong and then found way too many stories where hackers do, especially for children, uh, hack children's webcams. So thank you for all of the research that you brought to this topic, because uh, like I said in the beginning, with every wondrous new thing that comes our way, we just have to be aware of the potential downsides and and what we're going to be needing to fight off from this new habit. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where is the best place for them to connect? So my website, lenaderhali.com, which is L-E-N-A-D-E-R-H-A-L-L-Y. And I'm on Instagram, not not too much, actually. I don't scroll through it, but I, I do check messages and I do post sometimes. It's therapy with Lena, L-E-N-A. And then my dear friend, bless her, she actually has my, uh, she does my Facebook author page for me, but she passes me on any messages, which is um, on Facebook. It's Lena Durholly because my first book was a true crime about a, a cult follow. This case had a cult following and I really just didn't want trolls to contact me. So she, bless her heart. She's doing my Facebook page for me. <laughs> I find there's a lot more trolls on Facebook um, and I'm not on Twitter, but I, I don't know, for some reason there's, I, I seem to find that Facebook, I'm a little bit more leery of these days than Instagram. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash X84. Your challenge for this week, I'm going to give you a couple to choose from. The first one is to decide how you will use social media more mindfully. This can be anything from limiting your use to deleting your account to deciding specific intentional uses for social media. The other part of this challenge is to use social media to uplift someone else. 
Maybe that's what you do all week long. It can be one of those honorary birthday posts or the just because appreciation posts. Send thoughtful and loving comments towards someone, uplift someone or cheer them on based on their post. So these are some of the ways that we can decide how we are going to use social media rather than social media using us. There's that saying that if you're not paying for it, you are the product. And that is definitely true in social media. Gosh, considering how much power these big tech founders have frightens me like a lot. But the thing is, is that when we're not intentional about something, it's always more frightening because we aren't deciding how we're going to use something. But the moment that we start to make those decisions for ourselves, start to set rules and boundaries around a tool or a product or even a person, that's when we take our power back. But it starts with the decision. So how are you going to use it this week? How are you going to use it going forward? Let me know in the comments on this post at mindlove.com slash x84 or reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Sure, I'm like, reach out to me on Instagram and tell me how you're going to limit your Instagram use. (laughs) But that's the battle with all of us. There's a big part of me that wants to delete all of my accounts. There's another part of me that loves sharing photos of my baby. There's another part of me that asks, well, why do I love that? What am I gaining from this? And the part that usually wins is the part of me that knows that there's a balance to everything. Social media is amazing for growing a business, for reaching potential clients, for making new friendships, for keeping in touch with old ones. But like we said in this episode, you have to choose and be intentional about it. If you'd love to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com premium. In the last 30 days, we had three specific meditations that go along with episodes specifically for premium users. So you get access to that. That's at mindlove.com slash premium, or you can do it right there in the Apple Podcast app. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time.